biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. All right, hey, it's Joel from The Hack Life. I'm here with Owen Monroy. We're here in Walnut Creek, California at Oxygen Rally. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And some, something that's cool that not everybody knows is, and I hope they go watch the video, is that we just you just put me through a 15-minute workout on yeah. uh, your machine. So we're definitely going to talk about that. But I think just to start things off, just can you kind of tell everybody, you know, your journey into this sure. health and fitness world? You know, I know for me, you know, just into the world of biohacking and health and wellness, you know, a lot of people find their path through struggles and stuff. So I always find it interesting to learn about like, you know, how did, how did you get here? How did you get into this optimization world? Yeah, you know, I was coaching volleyball for about nine years in the NCAA. And so that was my former career. Um, I mentioned to you I was a music business major, and so I moved into volleyball after playing in college. And uh, so you were you d you played collegiate uh, volleyball. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, at Messiah College in Pennsylvania, and so yeah, I moved on from that and started coaching, and really fell in love with teaching. Mm. Um, I didn't. I I was like the last person that people thought would be a teacher you know, <laughs> why, why? compared to my siblings you know I had siblings that were really patient and like really good with kids it wasn't that I was bad with kids but I was you know I'm kind of a perfectionist in a lot of ways yeah and so I didn't always have the patience to like I had only had enough patience for myself to figure it out um, but when I fell into some uh, mentorship situations where I was able to learn from Olympic level volleyball coaches mm -hmm completely changed my paradigm on learning but also then on teaching and I realized like I love to teach because I had a frame a framework where I feel like I could offer people a pathway to changing their skill set and so yeah. that's what got me into volleyball and then that was about nine years that I did that professionally and that's what wow. brought me to the Bay Area originally I was coaching at Penn State um, as the volunteer assistant there and then got hired um, out here at St. Mary's College. And so I was coaching wow. beach and indoor volleyball at St. Mary's and then eventually ended up at University of Illinois. So I'm back across the country. And then um, most recently at Cal Berkeley, beach and indoor volleyball. So, wow. so that, was my, that was my former career. And it's, it can be a pretty intense lifestyle, especially during the fall. But, you know, you've got recruiting and it's, it's a year round. It's pretty scripted in terms of like you're in a rhythm of um, traveling and, you know, working with a team season after season. And um, so during that time, I really started kind of feeling my limits in terms of performance, mental performance within that framework. Um, and for me, that, that started, I, I mean, I grew up, my mom had a lot of, my mom and dad were very um, progressive in terms of like alternative health. Mm. And so, you know, I grew up and was a vegan for a while. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not anymore. <laughs> um, but it was my mom had a lot of exploration in terms of alternative health. And so, yeah, so cool. you know, growing up, I examples like, you know, I was eating my dad's from Guatemala. So avocados were commonplace, you know, in our family. Yeah. And so if I would, you know, have a, a lunch and, you know, 
schoolmates would be looking at like what is guacamole like what guacamole? is that where's like, your fruit roll-up at bro yeah <laughs> but at, at that time that stuff was was not commonplace now it's yeah. at subway it's everywhere but right. it's like people know what baba ganish is now and right. like i had that stuff you know growing up because my mom was really tabbouleh and all you know mediterranean yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and so um but even fasting like you know my dad had was working on a health issue when i was growing up and he was fasting doing extended fasting yeah. um and so you know as a young person, I was interested in it. We didn't do, I wasn't doing like water fast per se, but it was like a juice fast or, you know, red apples only. Even as a kid. Yeah. Just because, I mean, it wasn't extended. Um, and it was always just like, because I was interested. I wonder if like, what would it feel like? My dad's doing, you know, three days a week or whatever. And so it's, it's planted that question of like, well, maybe I don't need to eat today. Like, and so that's pretty unique at a young age. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, um, and I, I was homeschooled, and so I got to explore a lot of different areas. You know, mm. fly fishing and stuff was a passion growing up and really just made God, me so cool. uh, a learner, you know, um, and willing to research and explore things on my own. And so yeah. anyway, it, coaching volleyball, um, as I started questioning, hey, like, I don't feel like I'm performing as well as I could um, cognitively. And then just physically, it's like, hey, I don't I'm don't have as much time to exercise or I'm not taking the time maybe is a better way to put now, it. This but is when you're as a, as a coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, working at it in the big 10 coaching volleyball, it's, it's pretty intense, you know, five hours a night and, you know, up late watching tape, um, Whoa. you know, and so you're in front of a screen be- until the minute, you know, you hit, hit the pillow and then you're up early in the morning at practice. And then it, it's a pretty intense schedule. And so that, you know, helped me feel into my limits and, um, I wasn't not not only in terms of performance, but happiness. I wasn't where I wanted to be um, yeah. physically, mentally, and so um, that really started a journey of me taking ownership of that. And I did have some background and some skills to say, "Hey, like, start asking some pretty relevant questions about diet, about sleep." Um, and so I started kind of digging into that. And as I did, I just started. I think really one of the first things I decided to reengage was, I mean, I was. I ate really well all growing up. I went to college and it was like, I'm at a cafeteria. Like I'm, I can't, it, it was just too much to be so focused on that in, uh, at that time in my life. So I kind of just let go of the reins and eat whatever. I was still conscious. I wasn't, yeah. but, um, so to re-engage, that was like, the first step was like, I just made a commitment to myself. I'm going to like turn over and read the label. Like I'm going to know what's in it. I'm going to start just learning about that. Yeah. Started building awareness back near. Yeah, yeah. N- no real rules around what I was doing, but it was like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing this. That was like a first step, and from there, I started experimenting with low carb and keto stuff. You know, that was four or five years ago. That um, maybe a little longer than that. That I was try- starting to play with, like, okay, what did, what, how do do these variables affect my everyday well-being? Yeah. Um, and so in that journey, I just, I started digging in and I actually was part of the Bulletproof coaching program years ago. And, um, me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So that was, that was kind of for me too. 2016 New York is where I was at. Okay. So I think I was 2017 New York. Okay. Yeah. So perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. And so I, I started that and that, um, that, that assisted with that process of like how I was, you know, diving into it. You know, I, that wasn't a centerpiece in my experience, honestly. Um, but that was a part of my exploration. And, and I really, my departure from coaching collegiate volleyball was really based in wanting to um, share some of the things I was discovering 
um, with other people and realizing that in the collegiate athletics scene, I, I wasn't allowed to do that. Like from, we had a nutritionist on staff. We had, you know, people on staff that were in positions to, and they were professionals. And so yeah. the liability side is like, I can't tell. Who are you? Yeah. A bulletproof coach telling me. Well, I mean, I wasn't even that. a bulletproof <laughs> okay. coach. You know, it was just more like, hey, you have autoimmune things going on on your team. And, you know, you know that stuff is, is real and it affects yeah. a, a huge portion of the population. And not being able to offer any even suggestions, not, I mean, not even like, guidance really but just like hey have you thought about gag order huh for you guys yeah pretty much i mean because the liability is is too great if that player then that's a lot of money going to that college lost or whatever yeah and you don't want you know people can claim really quickly that the downstream effects whether it be an eating disorder or whatever you know if you chime in with suggestions it's it's just not really the place for that Um, yeah and so it really started weighing on me like I want to share the stuff that is having a positive impact on me and I wanted to broaden my impact in that way and so long-term collegiate volleyball wasn't where I wanted to be I I soon realized and um, I started exploring and started helping people you know from a lifestyle coaching standpoint um, because I had done so much exploration and had a skill set that I felt like I could offer some help there and so that's when I first found um, the Livo2 the oxygen system that I use. And, um, and I, I have, I've built my brand oxygen rally around that. Love it. So, uh, you discover live O2, which is essentially, it's a, just for everybody that doesn't know what live O2 is. It's a, I mean, I'm going to say it's a bike with some oxygen. Well, it's not a bike. That's what I was going to ask you. I'm just, that's what we did today. Yeah. And what I've seen in the past when I've done it at the Bulletproof conference, it was on a bike. So, but you could do it on any kind of, well, I know you're going to say, I was going to say, you could do it on any kind of cardiovascular machine, but you're going to say to me, you don't even need a machine. Probably what you're gonna yeah, you me. don't need a machine. I think you want a machine though. Yeah. Like you want some type of cardio. I, I know people who do it with bands or do it with um, kettlebell or do it with just yeah, yeah, yeah. body weight movements, which is fine. But really for me, the, the best way to experience it is on a cardio machine. Um, the system itself is basically separating room air, filtering it. And separating it for to concentrated oxygen and then low oxygen. So the low oxygen side essentially is, um, you know, set to 13 to 14% oxygen, which is the equivalent of 11,000 feet. So you have super oxygen on one side and then the low oxygen on the other. And so, so you can, you can transition people from a high altitude state to a super oxygenated state. Yeah. That contrast. Yeah. Basically. And so that contrast is, is the, the feature and the feature that I appreciate most is that quick switch, allowing the, the user to take ownership of the session and really start to explore the limits of their aerobic system, the limits of their heart and lungs, just based on feel, because it's a pretty tangible experience to have a switch that takes you from a refreshing environment in which you can produce more power to an environment that immediately like carrying the groceries in when you're up in Tahoe, like you feel a difference. Yeah. A flight of stairs feels different at altitude than here at sea level. There, there's so much science and I've heard so many different things. People, you know, I, I guess my question to you is why even have a machine like this? Why not just, uh, you know, can, couldn't I just go live in Tahoe for five months or something and then go fight in the MMA and a UFC fight or something or... Is there an advantage, I guess, 
to because you're doing the switching like you're saying mm-hmm. you're switching from the high altitude to the super saturated oxygen is there is there any science backing this or is there anything that you've seen just anecdotally like no this is a good thing this this contrast is yeah. powerful i mean well if you look at the science around you know altitude i mean that's pretty clear that's been res- the research around that is extensive and have been around for decades um on the the and and by the way i always hear can you i don't know mm-hmm. if you know but do you want to be is it live high train low or that's that's kind of the thing that you know people that rings in a lot of people's minds is like hey that's a tradition of like live high train low and why why would we want to train low well we're gonna you know it we're gonna be able to build strength better at sea level you know that's traditionally that's how we think about and at and at altitude we're gonna build our blood you know for endurance and so there's limits to both environments um in terms of Going to altitude has a real effect. And I always say altitude, um, it's hypoxic training. But okay. if you're not in it every day and saying you can, it can take you for a spin, whether it's hyperoxic or hypoxic. Mm-hmm. And so I usually just say altitude. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, or s- high oxygen um, for the other side. Yeah. But even those, even those, those terms can get really confusing because is high, ox- high oxygen is high oxygen, but it's not high altitude right right <laughs> so right 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 so if you catch me saying one or the other please help me clarify i'll be sure to correct you don't yeah. worry yeah but what was your question um train so, high live low yeah so i mean there's or, there's sorry, that i see you even said it backwards yeah there. Live uh, high, train. yeah live high train low i mean you always hear about that i think that's the preferred method correct mm-hmm. is to, yeah. to do that so when you had me on the machine i was here for 15 minutes you were switching me back and forth um is this sort of hack, is this like hacking me so that I don't have to spend so much time living? I mean, I don't I mean, know. I mean, in some ways, you could think of it as like we're going to take that cycle. And, you know, I'm not an exercise scientist in terms of like the, the mechanisms of the long-term a- adaptations. But in terms of the experience of you on the bike, we're taking that um, train high or train low, live high. And we're shrinking that down into a really short period of time. 15 minutes, guys. Yeah, I was so on the bike for 15 minutes. I mean, it was awesome, by the way. I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. But. So if, if, you were, if you were at an altitude and you go up three flights of stairs, you're still at altitude and you still have to recover at altitude. Mm-hmm. If you have the switch on the bike, you can do that work and then recover and then go do that work again and then recover. And you're going to recover quicker because you have access to four times normal sea level oxygen. Okay, so perfect. The, so it's a rapid recovery. So you can think of it as rapid recovery for altitude training. That's mm-hmm. one way to think about it. Yeah. And so from from that standpoint, it, it's really efficient. And you can train at altitude at sea level. And you can recover even quicker than if you were at sea level. Because technically, if we just had an altitude generator, we could get that altitude effect. Right. Come back to room air. And it's going to help us recover faster than if we were truly at altitude. So that is that is contrast therapy in, in and of itself. Now the elevated level of oxygen is going to enhance that. Um, but that's the principle. Okay. What are uh, – and this is referred to as EWAT training, right? Um, EWAT really just encapsulates – I mean, it stands for exercise with oxygen therapy or exercise with oxygen training. Um, but really that's just the oxygen side. That's supplemental oxygen. And now, so, okay, so there's some devices out there that just do that, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, that's pretty commonplace. A lot of people rig up stuff. Um, 
but the the real like 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 I'm saying the yeah. contrast is really the the unique aspect to, to that's what, like the bang for your buck right that's yeah. like where you're getting your that's where you're getting your money's worth per se yeah and the more advanced you get the the less you rely on the super oxygen but it also depends on your goals if you're if you're looking to develop your peak power you might use the the um supplemental oxygen side a, a bit more mm -hmm. or if you're if you're just working on a health issue and so if i'm working on endurance i'm not going to spend all my time on super oxygen I'm going to actually lean on at the altitude side quite a bit more. Yeah. So what, um, I think the big thing is then what are, what are clients seeing? What are people that, that are walking through your doors? What are they, what are the effects they're seeing or athletes or anybody, you know, again, I just went for 15 minutes, but I mean, do, are you seeing people, what are some of the results that no, they're it's, getting? It's you know? fun because, and I always lower expectations because especially when I walked in, right? <laughs> no, I always, <laughs> I always lower people's expectations, um, in terms of like, what is this going to do for me? And I always dial back and say, all right, well, movement is medicine, right? <laughs> like I can say that and everyone like, yeah, when you move it, it helps us detoxify, you know, moving the moving blood, moving lymph, you know, those systems are meant to detoxify us and help us maintain health helps energize us right and so just if we can agree on movement as medicine exercise is this really beneficial thing mm -hmm. for our health um, and so what people can expect i then i point to hey you have seventy thousand miles of veins arteries and capillaries and so for me to say this is how it's going to help you joel right here in this muscle or, or this joint we're going to see a change that would be a bit audacious for me to say even yeah. if i was a doctor yeah. And so when we think about your cardiovascular system as that giant, I mean, your cardiovascular system has enough mileage to wrap around the, the globe three times. Yeah. You know, 70, it's, awesome. it's crazy. And so with that in mind, we can then go start exploring with this and say, hey, can we increase circulation and help? I mean, that's a super highway to deliver nutrients to your tissues. Like that oxygen is a nutrient that your body requires to produce energy. Right. And so if we're if we're increasing nutrient delivery throughout the body, systems are going to be upgraded, right? And f the ones that, the way in which it impacts you is going to be different than it impacts me because you might have different deficits. You might have a different history of injury. You might have a shoulder thing going on or something in your liver that responds differently, vital organs. And we might, we might see a different upgrade happen in you than would happen in, for me. So yeah. It's, it's a little bit, um, I always lower the expectations that way, but on the other side, I really encourage awareness for people. So I had a client come in and she booked a three session intro and got off on her first session and she was going out. Um, she, she was like, Hey, is it possible that like my neck pain could have gone away because of this? And I was like, and again, you know, we'd already talked about like circulation and it's like, yeah, it actually is quite possible that when you improve circulation, you relieve some l even local inflammation to s an area of your body that's struggling. And so I was like, well, like next few sessions, let's follow up and, you know, let me know how that feels. And she came back and she's like, well, I slept through the night, you know, nice. um, and normally I wake up like five times and Whoa. I wake up and I'm groggy and I feel like I've been up all night. And so in the series of her, her eight session series, her sleep just kept on getting better. And what she, did she her, initially come in for? She came in 
for exercise. Yeah, and, and she got all these other downstream effects. Yeah, and she was yeah. she was interested in oh, it seems to have some other benefits. Like it's it is a new thing to people, and it, yeah. it, it's it's a technology. So people people bring this expectation to a technology because maybe this can be the difference. You know, right? But this is the magic pill. But ultimately, it's it we're breathing and we're moving, and so we're enhancing some of those things. And but you know, I I never like to be all about the technology because you take you know a lot of breaths every day and people throw i mean the average everyone's going to be different your respiratory rate is different than my respiratory rate but if we can change your breath the way in which you're breathing that's the the most vital touch point your vital daily touch point in how you're interfacing with your environment yeah and so anyway over eight sessions her neck pain really just went away she said it went from a 10 to maybe like a two or a three wow the and fact that she's sleeping every night is huge. Yeah, and it I really mean, is. And she was she was in the you know age bracket of um, I think mm. fifty plus. You know. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a little testimonial of her talking about it on my Instagram. You know, on one of the highlights. Um, but it was just really it was really cool. That was unexpected for her. Unexpected for me. I mean, it was pain she had for a decade. Yeah. Because of her. That's amazing. Her work. Um, um, but so that's an example. But other people see very. I've had an old guy get off the bike. He came down for a demo because he was thinking about buying one. Um, so that's one thing I do here. People that are interested in buying one, you know, they come in and get a demo or a three-part experience. Mm-hmm. He came in and he was like feeling good. And he, he did it and got off the bike. And he's like, like he was looking out these windows here and he's taking his glasses off and putting them back on. He's yeah. like, I can read the signs across the street. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, like that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. And he's like, is it possible? To, and I was like, yeah maybe yeah Yeah. and actually the the visual aspect is the thing that i noticed first because i wasn't managing any you know specific health issues but i was playing tennis pretty regularly and i'm i'm not an extremely good tennis player but i i played enough that i i know my game yeah and i'm i'm learning it and so i'm pretty dialed into my learning process and then i didn't play tennis for maybe two weeks two three four weeks because i got this and i was doing sessions and i was you know, working on the business. And then I went back to tennis and it was like every stroke got one level better. And that's mm-hmm. where it was, wasn't like, oh, I'm having a good forehand day. Sweet. Cause that happens all the time. Like for me as a low level tennis player, like, yeah. oh, I'm having a good forehand day, yeah. but my backhand sucks. And the next time it's like, well, my backhand is great. And then this is struggling that, but since after spending those three, four weeks initially doing a lot of sessions, it was like, everything was just a little bit better. And I so I was asking um, about that, and I was like, it's like my visual acuity kind of just took a little jump up. Interesting. And if you think about, like, the mitochondrial density of the eye. They of require the heart, a lot. Yeah, of the heart, yeah. of the brain. The brain consumes a huge portion of, of the oxygen that we consume. Um, and so mm-hmm. if you think of it from that standpoint, it's like, well, that kind of makes sense. And so, you know, that that's one thing I've noticed. I'm trying to think of some other examples of, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a guy here that w- was, he was really motivated and did a lot of sessions in a short period of time, which generally helps jumpstart that. So I get people started with a little um, more intense schedule and then they taper off in terms of like what, a ma- maintenance kind of mode. Yeah, yeah. what fits for, for their um, lifestyle. Um, but he just, he was, just, he was, he was a tracker and he kept track of everything and he was just, his mood, everything that he manually tracked, which everything was increasing. And so sleep scores is one that oftentimes mm-hmm. in, improves people that wear an aura ring or something like that. Yeah. 
I rented a system to a guy that, and it was I'll have it, to track my sleep tonight. Yeah, it, it, people notice that, and but it could go the other way. You could mm. because the detox potential, you could be really restless. And so now, why would there be a detox potential? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, so you're again. So just so everybody knows, you're we we did a 15 minute session today where I'm I'm saturating my body with oxygen as I'm as I'm pedaling on a bike, and then and can I don't know if we even before we talk about the detox, can you kind of explain? I don't think we even really delved in because yeah. you, you, you just, you know, you're kind of downplaying it. You're like, oh, just movement is medicine, which I agree with. Yeah. But don't sell yourself short. I mean, what we're doing here is because I remember when we did the on the, the bike, you were explaining how like the capillaries and everything's getting more oxygenated. So there's, yeah, yeah, you know, so I'm on the bike, I'm pedaling and I'm saturating my blood with this oxygen. And then you take it away from me and I go into this altitude state um, or hypoxic state. And now I'm still pedaling. And then you would rev it back up. So there's back and forth. Um, so first, can you just kind of explain maybe like on a biological level? Yeah, sure. Why, you know, I, th- I think you explained something about the hemoglobin and getting you mm-hmm. know, more oxygen. And then we can talk about the detox and why some people might get that effect. Yeah. So, I mean, the blood chemistry is really important to this discussion because most people, if you wear a pulse oximeter, most people will be from 96 to 100. And, you know, that's pretty fully saturated that's kind of standard now if you go we'll just use the flight of stairs for an example if you go up one or two flights of stairs your breath pattern probably changes right and if you put the pulse oximeter on at the top of that flight of stairs oftentimes you'll see you're still at 98 percent or 97 percent but your respiratory rate has changed a lot your Mm -hmm. your body is compensating for this stress that you've introduced and so what what you'll realize is that your body isn't responding to a lack of oxygen. You're carrying a lot of oxygen in your blood. Your, your body is responding to the buildup of CO2. Your metabolism is working. You're producing energy to get up that flight of stairs. And so you have more CO2 in your blood. And if you're not CO2 tolerant, you're, you're going to need to huff and puff mm. and get rid of some of the CO2. And so when you do so, you'll kind of find your comfort level again. Okay. But what we really try to do and educate people around is, hey, we can actually become more efficient at utilizing the oxygen that's already in the blood. And so a little bit of desaturation in response to activity, if you're breathing appropriately, may happen. And so um, getting back to why that's important is, well, if we can improve your CO2 tolerance, you're moving, you're exercising, your body is producing energy to um, meet the stress, then we can then you can breathe more steadily mm-hmm. you don't need to hyperventilate and yeah. people think of hyperventilating ventilating as like a panic attack right that is an example but there's more low level hyperventilation that happens it's basically yeah is your breath inappropriate for the activity so when you go up a flight of stairs and you're you know you're with someone who's super fit and they're not breathing and you are you might be like yeah i feel like a little self-conscious <laughs> yeah. like why yeah. am i breathing so hard yeah but you know, so that's what I would say, hey, you're breathing inappropriately for the activity level, right? And so if that's the case, then what what is the blood chemistry of that? And the CO2 tolerance, is that's where CO2 co- tolerance comes in. So, if, and we can talk about why, what actually is happening there. The Bohr effect, if you've heard of the Bohr yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. I know there's, uh, Patrick McCowan talks a lot yeah. about the oxygen advantage. Yeah. Buteco, buteco yes. uh, breathing. But, uh, yeah, but, I mean, explain that for everybody because, I mean, I, I, yeah. could, I could get. That book is, has been foundational to, you know, my exploration of breathing. 
um, nasal breathing being part of that. Um, and CO2, it, and I, you know, the Bohr effect, if you Google it, you'll find a bunch of videos, people on the whiteboard drawing the, the oxyhemoglobin disassociation curve. But the problem with even just that phrase, it's like, like it, it feels like, how am I going to understand this whole thing when that phrase is just intimidating to most yeah. people to begin with? But the way I like to just describe it is, you know, in the presence of CO2, oxygen becomes less sticky to the hemoglobin. Okay, the hemoglobin is the protein, the oxygen binding protein in the red blood cell. Okay, so if you think about when we're breathing, if I am breathing in through my nose, out through my nose, calmly, I'm at a pretty comfortable state. When I start huffing and puffing, my body is essentially in oxygen collection mode. They're, we're trying to collect and deliver oxygen, but the problem is we're already, we've already exceeded our, our comfort or sustainable capacity, right? So in order to collect oxygen, we get rid of CO2, which makes oxygen more sticky to the hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. So I'm in collection mode when I'm <laughs> like, I need to get more oxygen, deliver it, and get back to recovery. Homeostasis. Yeah, yeah, homeostasis. But if I'm in working mode, I can be breathing very evenly and building up CO2 in the blood to a point where oxygen is released to the tissues. Mm. And so if you, it, it, it becomes less sticky to the hemoglobin, so it can now be released to the working tissues, the vital organs. So when you're doing this on the machine, then... I'm assuming that's what's happening too. You're getting, it's becoming less sticky, right? You're, you're delivering oxygen well, in places that it, it may not. It can be, but okay. that's, that's where it's interesting is in almost any situation, you can choose to hyperventilate and outpace the stimulus, right? And so that's where I really encourage people to even system aside is like, are you training or are you performing? Because the way we breathe very often we're performing and we might think, well, it's not game day. I'm not, uh, you know, but what is the stage that you're performing on? You might be performing t- if you're in a gym for the people next to you, your ego, how you match up with the people around you. Yeah. If you're out on a run by yourself, you might pre- be performing against your own ego in terms of like, hey, I want to like kick ass. I want to be, I want to perform here. But in reality, that may not serve your training purpose. Yeah, And so going at a pace in which you're building CO2 and maintaining CO2 and improving your oxygen efficiency, the release of oxygen to the tissues, may offer you more benefits than pushing your capacity and just over-breathing, yeah. overcompensating. Because I've, um, I've worked with really high-level athletes that, you know, and we've done metabolic tests on them, and they've, they have a high VO2. They, c- they can perform but they're also, their breath patterns are really stressful. Interesting. Like they're carrying stress up here. And when they're breathing hard, they're, they're essentially professional overcompensators. Yes. And so, you know, that's where I think the, I'm trying to return to your initial question there, but the, the CO2 tolerance is essential. And, and really, ma- under, really making a decision, am I going to go out and train on this run or am I performing? That, to me, that distinction is really important because then it's, it, it kind of corners your ego and is like, what am I performing for? I actually want to get better at this. This isn't game day, and I want to improve my efficiency. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then talk about the detox effect that you can get from doing, um, you know, from doing the bike with the oxygen here at Oxygen Rally. Yeah, I mean, 
if you think about inflammation in the cardiovascular system, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak to inflammation, you know, from a medical standpoint, but just, you know, I know that when I eat Chinese food, like my ring size changes, right? Oh, interesting. Right. And, or like, I feel a little, I can finish a certain meal and say, did I just gain two pounds? Like, no, I didn't <laughs> gain two visible pounds. There's something going on in my tissue that's, that's not great, right? Yeah. And it's whether it's love handles, hear Dave Asprey talk about like muffin top of your brain, yeah. right? And so kind of tuning into that and saying, hey, what's, what's being disrupted here? Uh, I, I don't know. I just like to think from a very low level standpoint, layperson standpoint, inflammation in the cardiovascular system can result in limited blood flow, right? And so when we limit blood, if you think about your capillary beds, right? And so in the changeover from, you have a, a, a single blood cell squeezing through the opening from one side to the other, right? If that gets inflamed, that red blood cell might not be able to pass through that same capillary, right? And so blood gets rerouted uh. around. And so whatever's downstream of that lack of circulation is kind of what we call a brownout. You're, you're lacking circulation to the downstream side. And so if we increase movement, we've got more of a heart, heartbeat going. So we're increasing the pressure at which we're pumping blood th through that area. And then also we're increasing the, the oxygen in the blood water, the plasma. So what can't fit through that capillary is a red blood cell, but what can is blood, the plasma of the blood. And so as we increase oxygen in the tissues, even at the capillary level, we can relieve some of that inflammation and restore circulation of um, the red blood cells. Yeah. And so um, that's how it's been explained to me. And, you know, when we, we restore blood flow, we're going to wash out some sludge, some metabolic waste from yeah. the cardiovascular system that's maybe just been stopped up there. And it could be temporary. I mean, the older you are, the more potential you have because you've been exposed to more, you know, suboptimal diet, pollution, even stress, um, you know. Yeah. Stress, stress can be, you know, a vasoconstriction, you know, even like an emotional trauma. You yeah. can, I mean, you, you can feel like if you, if you have anger and, you know, you can carry it in your jaw, like think about it, your body stores stressors, um, for years. Yeah. And so releasing some of that can, I mean, that's why I was saying when you're wearing a pulse oximeter and you're up at 99 and we're, you're, you're breathing 90% oxygen. And then all of a sudden we see a drop in your saturation we haven't gone to altitude yet. You didn't do this, but that's not uncommon for me to see. But when you're, so when you're hyperoxygenating me, mm -hmm. filling me with lots more oxygen, you'll see some the, the pulse oximeter drop, you're saying? Their yeah, oxygen yeah that, that happens sometimes. And, and, and what's the theory behind that? Well, the theory behind that is that you're, you're opening up some blood flow that hasn't been circulating. And so your body's going to rapidly respond and use this supplemental oxygen that you have access to and so, but, and that's going to differ depending on, you know, whether it's a vital organ, whether it's, you know, where it's going to work in the body, but, yeah. um, and that's a little beyond my pay grade from an anatomy and physiology standpoint, because that's the mystery of, you know, the cardiovascular system. It's, it's really complex. Um, but, but in terms of detox potential, we always start it pretty slow because you're just, I mean, from a fundamental standpoint, um, low oxygen environment altitude uh, um, 
that that's a hypoxic stress to the body. And what that causes the cardiovascular system to do is open. We need to move more blood yeah, to get you're nutrients. tricking the body into saying, we don't have enough. We need to get more. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to increase circulation. And so that's kind of a delivery mechanism to then flip the switch and up oh, while we have it open, let's flush oxygen through to those tissues. Yeah. And so people like, I think of the altitude, the hypoxic training side as equally valuable as the oxygen because it's, it is the delivery system for the effect of the oxygen, you know, with just oxygen, you will, you will get the effect of, you know, energy and reducing inflammation. But when you can open up, I mean, it's, it's like the, what do you call it? The HOV lane. It's like all of a sudden this highway that's, yeah, it's moving slow. You open up, you know, the, I'm blanking on what it's called. The fast track. The fast track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. HOV. You're yeah. right. So yeah, you open up that lane and now, you know, you're delivering much faster and moving things along that, that previously were at a standstill. Yeah. And it, you know, it reminds me just when you were talking about the woman that you had mm-hmm. who was the neck pain started with, it just seems to me like she has all these things going on, who knows. Right. And now that the body is given the right input that it, it, it can, maybe she didn't have the nutrients or the availability mm-hmm. because she had toxins and all this other stuff coming mm-hmm. in. But now that you gave her that input with the oxygen, now the body's like, okay, cool. I can actually take care of this problem. I can actually send energy yeah. and nutrients and mitochondria to go deal with this where I never, I was in a deficit before. So I'm just in survival mode, you know, trying to just yeah. maintain what I can maintain. So I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, if you think about contrast therapy, that can apply to heat and cold, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, we're using envi- the breathing environment. But if you think about what happens when you go into the cryo chamber here, down to negative 175 for three minutes, you're getting pr- pretty extreme vasoconstriction. Yeah. Your body's drawing blood to the core and kind of in survival mode. And when you get out, you're getting vasodilation. You're warming back up. So all yeah. that blood that kind of returned to your core is being sent out, you know, to it recirculate. And so there's a contrast therapy that happens right there that is vasoconstriction, vasodilation. And if you think about like just um, the tone of your endothelial system like there's this movement this rapid expansion going back and forth from environments is is assist with flexibility and adaptability and so you know if you look into cardiovascular um, disease and, and um, conditions oftentimes they they talk about the stiffness of the arteries yeah. like if you're sedentary if you're sitting on the couch for for years back to back you, you lose the, some of the flexibility of the cardiovascular system. And so um, I listened to a podcast recently just all about the endothelium. Yeah. And they were actually talking about this as well. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah, the effect of going back and forth as being such a positive stress on mm. the body. No, that's a great point. What about um, hyperbaric oxygen yeah. therapy? How, is, how do you think um, it's just different than this kind of exercise um, with oxygen therapy that, that, that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, HBOT hyperbaric is, they call it HBOT is, is a really similar, um, focus. The major difference is that it's a passive therapy. So you most, unless you have these crazy huge chambers, I think I saw yeah. Tony Robbins in one where he was on a bike. Yeah. Um, but in general, there's, there are chambers in which you go in and you sit, you lie down. So it's a passive therapy that, enables people who can't exercise to, excuse me, receive the benefits. Um, but it's, it's really 
calm. You're not getting a high heart rate. You're, you're going in there, you're chilling out and you're going into this pressurized environment. Yeah. And so the, so the really, um, high end chambers that are the hard shell require medical supervision or it's just a bit more of a process and it's yeah. pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, and also the time investment, you're going in there for at least an hour at a time. And yeah. usually you're on a, a 20, 30 session schedule and you're trying to get it in, you know, three, four times a week. Um, is you know has been my understanding and so it's a very different experience depending on what you're working on yeah like autoimmune or something yeah yeah or concussion i don't know or wound healing you know okay. wound healing you might not be able to get on a bike and cycle if you're working on a, a wound on your leg for yeah. example and so it has a lot of uh, great applications and the other thing about hbot it's super well researched and so it's it's become kind of a medical standard it's not i mean people will argue just about anything, but it's pretty well established in that sense. Yeah. This is a newer technology and it's, um, and it's an active therapy. So, you know, I always frame it. It's like, we're doing a workout and we're using that high heart rate and the supplemental oxygen to deliver a lot of the, the very same benefits as you would experience in HBOT. And some people, I mean, a lot of people prefer this because they didn't have success with HBOT. Oh, interesting. Um, but you know, I don't have a lot of personal experience with HBOT. And so, um, I, I listen to a, you know, podcasts and stuff about it all the time, learning everything I can about, you know, the differences, but you know, ultimately it comes down to something that's pretty hard to measure. Um, you know, the oxygenation of the blood plasma, you know, so we, we put this on and it shows us, um, the percent of our hemoglobin, our red blood cells <clears throat> that are saturated with oxygen, but this isn't measuring the oxygen content of the blood plasma. Right. And so this measures it just because our blood changes. We're referring to the pulse oximeter just for everyone. Yeah. So the the pulse oximeter shines a light and is measuring the reflection of the color of your blood. Mm. Right. So when your blood is low oxygen, it changes color at a consistent, pretty consistent rate. So these are, these can give us some good numbers on that, but the, the plasma side is where it's, it's, you can't just measure it by slipping something on your finger. Yeah. And so that's where I think the differences are. And that's where, you know, I'm interested in talking more with doctors and hyperbaric specialists and down the road, getting more validation for how exercise with supplemental oxygen could drive a lot of the same effects because people are getting results. That's the thing, you know, whether people that have, you know, undergone paralysis and stuff, they're reversing things that you're like, yeah. You so think it's impossible. So anecdotally, it seems to be delivering many of the very same benefits and sometimes even at an accelerated rate because you are delivering with blood flow. And so that's, that's, those are kind of the differences. One's active, yeah. one, one's passive. They're both using um, high oxygen environments. We're using altitude to create a contrast. But yeah. even in hyperbaric, the, the interesting thing is you'll have people do contrast therapy within a hyperbaric chamber. And so they'll go from breathing concentrated oxygen to taking the mask off and then going back to some closer to room air. Yeah. And that contrast of 95% or greater oxygen down to 20 creates a response in the body that has, they're finding beneficial effects. Interesting. So these are HBOT specialists doing contrast just from room air. Room yeah. air becomes the altitude. Right. Um, and so, and so they'll cycle that back and forth. Um, and I've even t heard hyperbaric specialists talk about when you go into a hyperbaric chamber and then get out, you're essentially going to altitude, you know, you're, you're in a more hypoxic environment. Right. And so just even if you go once a day, if you're going to 
hyperbaric once a day for 30 days, you're getting this kind of intermittent back and forth. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it's pretty interesting stuff, but I think there's a lot, a lot more conversations about the spectrum of, I mean, there's soft shell chambers, hard shell chambers, yeah. and then there's EWAT. Um, but it's a pretty, it's a conversation that maybe hasn't been entertained enough because people have said, Hey, it's EWAT versus HBOT. It's this yeah. versus that. And it's like, Hey, they're both good. Yeah. There, there's <laughs> it depends the, what you want, right? Yeah. It depends what you want. depends what you're looking for. depends how, if you want to get your workout into, like if That's I was true. taking an hour a day in my current schedule, it's like, when am I going to do my workout? <laughs> right. When am I going to get to move? And so to me that that's where in an active lifestyle, if you're able to exercise, I have 78 year old clients who are, you know, get on the bike and they go to altitude and they go for minutes at a time. And so if you're able to move and exercise, this is a really accessible way to, um, get the benefits of oxygen therapies. Yeah, that's what you're saying too. People like with knee injuries and stuff like that, they can jump on the bike and it's that's low impact, it's easy, and they're still getting that cardiovascular, um, you know, benefit in only like 15 minutes. Yeah, and it's so pretty cool. Like you said, the impact to joints and muscles is just minimal because we let the altitude do the work. The al- altitude doesn't have to be a negative thing. Like if you go hiking, you're like, oh, this sucks. Like I can't do what I normally would do we're on a stationary bike here. Where are you going? Like, you're not going anywhere where the goal is to get the heart rate up, to feel good and to, you know, get those benefits. And so with that in mind, altitude, I always like to take, tell people altitude makes exercise easier. You can get there easier. Mm. Right. And so for people that are just looking for that feel good runner's high, like, Hey, let's breathe through your nose. Let's go to altitude. When it gets stressful, we flip the switch and we stay in a nasal breathing pattern and welcome that refreshing breath of oxygen and then go back to altitude when we're ready. But it doesn't have to be this big, stressful, extreme athlete type thing. No, it's like both make exercise easier. If you go to oxygen, you'll be able to produce more power on the bike. You'll see your wattage go up. Your average wattage will go up. Your heart rate will go down. You go to altitude, the opposite happens. So you can, you, it's a toggle switch in which you can leverage the environment to suit whatever you're looking for. You know, I would, I would imagine this would be great for somebody with like TBI or concussions too, right? Yeah, that's actually been a, a huge focus. Um, I, I've worked with quite a few clients in that category. But, you know, really, if you, st- I mean, I follow quite a few like progressive concussion clinics around yeah. the country. And it's, it's cool to see the traction of like, hey, maybe, you know, sitting in a dark room with earplugs, you know, or just isolation, darkness isn't necessarily the only way or the best way to to recover from these things. Maybe there's solutions that include movement, and how do we leverage those toward healing? And I'm seeing more and more um, professionals kind of leaning in that direction. And so, yeah, if you can imagine someone who's undergone a concussion, suffered a concussion, and they can't take the movement of you know even standing up on yeah. a bike or running for sure, or even walking could be difficult. If you put on a bike and put a very low level of resistance, how much is my head moving? Yeah, not I all. can hold on to the yeah. handlebars. I mean, I could wear sunglasses and I can just start engaging my heart and lungs. A brain bruise, right, is, is in a confined space so that the pressure that comes along with some of those injuries, if we can relieve some brain inflammation yeah. from those bruises, they're seeing rapid recovery. I haven't dealt with really severe cases, um, but 
doing before and after tests, like cognitive assessments, seeing rapid recoveries just because they're, I mean, the way it's been explained to me is they're relieving um, that inflammation from the bruise. And so now you restore blood flow. It's like, hey, things can get back to their regenerative process. Whereas if like, hey, don't move, don't, you know, if you, if you right. are, are in maybe a more traditional, like, don't move, don't right. get out, don't get your sit heart. Here, yeah. Just sit here and, and atrophy. Yeah. It, it's really, um, it makes a lot of sense that we could accelerate recovery times by blood flow and nutrients. And so, um, yeah, it's, that's a pretty exciting element of it because it is so unique that we can deliver a pretty intense workout, um, just using the altitude air. That's pretty cool. Hey, before I want to, I want to start talking about, um, you know, some of the, the metabolic testing that mm-hmm. you do before we go there, anything else that you want to talk about in terms of the bike or that we didn't cover? Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I'm working on right now is, is bringing this technology to the firefighter and first responder communities, because I think that, that's awesome. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, this, this, uh, technology I think is so relevant to performance, of course. Um, the health of our first responders has an immediate impact on their ability to do their jobs to save homes, save lives, but then also to save themselves in compromised situations. And so, you know, even in terms of mental clarity and cognition, those things are so vital for people that are in positions where they have to make decisions. Second decisions. Yeah. And they have to perform. And so for the firefighters, I mean, we're all experiencing the air quality. And, you know, there's days that I'll go out and walk my dog and it's like, it's going to be a short loop because I can feel it in my, affecting my eyes and, you know, the back of my throat, you know, it's a, it's a toxic environment to be, you know, in that. And so guys going out for two to three weeks at a time to fight the wildfires and yeah, they're, they're wearing masks, but they're not always wearing a mask. Right. And there's, they're exposed to so much, um, toxic fumes. I mean, if it's a residential area, then, you know, the building materials, there's yeah. a whole mix of um, chemicals in what's burning. If it's wildfires, it's still just heavy amounts of smoke. Um, but And then there's fire retardant chemicals, you know, dropping to try to slow this, this progress down. And so for me, that's just a population that really deserves our attention um, in the service that they're providing um, citizens. But then this is such a powerful way to regenerate the, the lungs. And so yeah. they might come home from, you know, two, three weeks out there and want to get that workout but like yeah it doesn't feel good to work out when you've got all this junk in your lungs and so being able to use the altitude to maximize circulation get that workout without having to go super hard yet yeah and really fast track them toward recovery and performance um but you know as i did my research on the statistics around it that you know line of duty deaths for firefighters are like 70 percent of of line of duty deaths are cancer related interesting and so you know, early death because of cancer, because you're serving your community to me is, is a situation that really doesn't make sense, you know? And it's so not, it's not, it's not that noble to be honest. I mean, yeah, I mean, I it, mean, it's noble what they do. Right. But I mean, it, to know that, I mean, that, that you're guaranteed a death sentence almost. I mean, 70% that's, that's high. That's yeah. I, mean, I wasn't aware of that. If you look at the, I mean, there's a whole list of cancers that are, that have been, um, if you, I, I, there's a whole list of them, but that are most relevant to that, the firefighter population. Um, the average increase was like 75% increase in getting 
that list of cancers wow. for the general compa- when compared to the general population some of them up to, up to like over 100 like your your risk is like is doubled because you're a firefighter and so wow. for me um you know what i'm doing right now is i'm raising money to deliver this service to um our local departments um and trying to pilot pilot a movement of of self-care for those guys and girls that are out there that are you know really just putting themselves in harm's way from a respiratory standpoint and down down the line i'd love to see this adopted as part of a, a recovery protocol yeah like how regenerating the lungs and then you know sweating some of this stuff out and so yeah. you know you know i've um consulted with medical doctors who have used these um these modalities and have given me the background and like ha- how to apply it and it's really not different than anything i'm doing already but having that you know as a back pocket assurance that i'm on on the right path is really huge yeah um and so right now i'm looking to raise the money so that i can i can get you know put 20 guys through a 30-day experience in which they're coming in for eight sessions and getting that kind of upgraded recovery experience but regardless of whether it's on right after um uh about out there with the fires or if it's you know preparing like that's equally as important because the scbas that they're wearing the the mask and the and the tanks is a very interesting breathing environment i'm still learning more about that and i have someone that's going to help me out by giving me an experience breathing in one um but if we can like they know how long they last in those in with that system like how much work can you do with with a single tank and so if we can boost their performance that's going to be a really noticeable difference. And I want to be a part of, you know, helping kind of raise the stakes on firefighter performance, because I think that helps us all out. So no, that's so cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just starting out. And so if people are interested, I have a GoFundMe um, that you probably can throw in links or something yeah, like that. I'll definitely throw it in the show notes. Um, and so it's just starting out and it was actually a, an original part of my, my vision for oxygen rally kind of got shelved because I just was trying to, you know, build what the necessary infrastructure for to running my day to day. But, um, every year fires are an issue here, um, in California. And so the first summer I got this, it was like, wow, people can't exercise outside and we've got firefighters and homes burning down. So I'm really interested in collaborating with groups that, you know, would like to use this for themselves, but then, you know, also give back to help, the people that are on the front lines. Yeah, it's great. And so whether you're a cycl- local cyclist and and want to do this for yourself because you have can't get out on the road or shouldn't be out on the road breathing all this smoke, or you're just interested in you know backing people that are on the front lines. No, that's great. So yeah, I mean, it's amazing. That's yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's, it's been something that's been on my mind for a few years now, and finally pulling the trigger and have connected with some great community members who have you know, had a father that passed away early as a result mm. of lung cancer. And so, you know, meeting people and talking to people that this is a part of their story. It's not just a statistic that I'm um, finding and, you know, repeating. It's like, hey, there's people in our community that are living out these these situations and these consequences. The most dangerous part of being a firefighter, like 70% of line of duty deaths are <laughs> cancer related. Like the most dangerous thing is not out there in the blazes. It's your long-term health. And yeah. so that's pretty motivating f- for me to help that. So instead of buying them a cup of coffee at Starbucks, go out and buy them a three pack 
session at Oxygen yeah. Rally, guys. <laughs> well, Go I mean, that. the thing is, is long-term benefits. Yeah, the long-term benefits, and hopefully it creates a, a, a trend. I think probably the younger, you know, just our society is trending toward, you know, health and wellness. Yeah. And so I think setting a precedent of like high-functioning um, brain health, cardiovascular health, just a culture of um, of health and performance, I think is really important. So the more we can um, get some traction with local departments, I think it, it starts it starts to gain traction. I think when you start kicking ass, right? And you know that's why the metabolic testing has been an important part of what I do because when we we do eight sessions, ten sessions, and we measure, hey. Not only do you feel better, you can feel your lungs kind of coming back to life, your your capacity coming back, but we can show that like your VO2 max has made a jump and your fat burning efficiency has made a jump and we can get real gold standard metrics on those things. That yeah, so talk to us about the metabolic compelling. testing. Like why uh, you, you were talking offline about this and you were really saying like this is this is you get amazing data mm-hmm. and it really moves the needle for people when they can they can see and feel uh, the difference. Why are why should people or why are most people going to you for metabolic testing? I'm assuming they just want to lose weight or what? I mean, it's a, it's a complete mix. Um, fat loss is a huge motivator for just about everyone. I mean, everyone wants to lean out a little bit or maybe they were looking to gain a little weight because, you know, to balance out, optimize their body weight. But that's really relevant to most people. And so that's a oftentimes an initial point of interest for high performance athletes. This is a technology that's been used in sports science labs for decades. It's, you know, every Olympic, you know, cyclist or triathlete is for sure has their, their metabolic, um, test and they're using that to dial in their nutrition, their, their seat position, you know, this stuff mm-hmm. has, um, so yes, yeah, I mean, not to get too technical, I'm not an elite cyclist, but they use this even to say, Hey, like what is the metabolic consequence of my seat being a little higher or a little lower? Cause you can see the efficiency by which they're able to, um, sustain an effort over time. And so, um, yeah, so I, it's, so it gets that technical. It can. And yeah. so the applications are really limitless. You know, we could throw you in an ice bath and see how are you handling, you know, 32 degrees, <laughs> what is your metabolism doing so people yeah. you can experiment with that um the cool thing about it is this is the de- the device right here and so this encapsulates what you know formerly was a, f- a full-on metabolic cart uh-huh and so we can throw this in a, a little backpack with a battery pack and it's wired to a mass similar to the one you were wearing yeah and that will sample the gases that you're expiring and give us a read on how you're using fats versus carbohydrates. But like I mentioned with the bike fit, it'll tell us things about your posture. The, you know, is your posture optimal? It'll That's tell you pretty cool. your cognition, aerobic health, metabolic efficiency. All those things are reflected in how your body is um, adapting to stress. And so yeah. like we talked about CO2, that's where this ties in. If you're really stressed out, you're probably producing more CO2 because you're burning more sugar and your, your ventilation is going to change. Yeah. I mean, it, the grit, I didn't realize how technical you could get by just the bike seat position positioning. And like you said, it, like, are you performing at your max? Like that's amazing for mm-hmm. like these high level athletes, but I'm assuming just average Joe blow. Yeah. Like I would just do it resting, like sitting on a chair, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you do that? Yeah. You get a basic, um, what they call an RMR resting metabolic rate. And 
we don't even do it s- seated. We lay you down as if you're sleeping. Yeah. You know, if you pull out your phone, you're probably going to affect that because you might get a stressful text, right? And that's going to change your heart rate, change your stress or rate. Or someone might not like your post on Facebook. Yeah. You and might s- create that stress response. Yeah. And yeah. so you change, that's the thing about everyday life. You're, you're constantly in patterns of holding your breath or <sighs> sighing as a, re- you know, a response to how you're navigating your environment. So we put you on the bed and it's like, just zone out act like you're sleeping and we'll get a read of how your metabolism settles into that 10 minute rest period. And from that you can extrapolate, you know, how many calories you're using without activity. Um, now the add on to that is to do the exercise stress test or a VO two max test is what it's referred to oftentimes in performance, but essentially it's an exercise stress test and it gets as hard as you want it to get but it's basically a ramp test which starts super easy, almost boring easy. And then every minute it gets a little harder, a little harder, no breaks until you tap out and can't continue. And so to get, ideally you go as hard until you can't possibly go anymore. Okay. Um, and that'll give us kind of the full spectrum of what you're capable of doing. Um, and within that data, we can then say, all right, when, at what level of stress did you, get to the point where your carbohydrate metabolism overtook your fat metabolism. And so that's one interesting Mm. point that we, that we look at, you know, it's called the crossover point. Um, but we're just monitoring, I mean, and I, I printed these out that I was showing you before. We're monitoring your, your kilocalories of fat being burnt versus your carbohydrate intake. And so we can see that over time, you know, this is the duration of the workout. And so it's it's pretty cool. I mean, this is the raw data, so it's a bit technical and dense if you're not used to looking at it. But this gets um, sent to the data scientists at Panoe, and and they send back a report. And ah. so now that report makes it much more consumable. It compares you to your um, your gender and age, and says how do you compare in terms of aerobic health to your demographic. And it'll give you a rating, you know, percentage rating zero to hundred percent. And so we can look at that. Um, it's, it's all translated into the report and then it'll customize recommendations. If your goal is fat loss, it's like, Hey, your cardiovascular shape, it might be pretty good. We, we, you should be emphasizing strength a little bit more. And so it'll actually mm. lean your report according to what your, what your goal is. But the baseline metrics of comparing, um, to the general population is, is not impacted by what your goal is. Okay. So I would do this, and then when would I probably come back and do a, a second one? Yeah, what, it, what do you think it really depends on do? how intensely. If I'm just trying to lose weight, let's just say. It depends on on your patient level, patient's level. If you're like, hey, I'm going to crush it these 30 days. I'm, you know, I'm ramping up all these different areas. I want to know how I'm doing in 30 days. Cool. Let's do like a 30 day challenge format. Um, we could do 60 or 90 day challenge as well, and just say, yeah. hey, just putting a date out there. 90 days from now, I want to make progress in all these areas um that's that can be really nice accountability and validation um if you're doing something you've always done and it's a matter of getting the work done um that's one thing but every 30 days might be relevant if you're hey i'm going to try this keto thing and i want to make sure that it's actually working for me Mm because there's no one size fits all for diet or exercise so let's check in 30 days in and assess how i'm responding and then so People sometimes, you know, do it more often on the outset of trying something new because, yeah, you could 
I mean, you could do this just for a diet change, not even for like, Hey, I'm doing what I always do with training. Like I'm, that's already set. I'm, but I'm experimenting with different dietary, um, lifestyle patterns. Yeah. Very cool, man. This is awesome. Um, also, I know you're working on another project. Do you want to talk about that at all? Breath Lab? Yeah, breathlab.io uh, is um, at breathlab.io on Instagram is a platform that I'm working with a collaborator um, out of the New York City area. Um, and we're basically trying to elevate the conversation around breath um, and elevate not, I don't say that like better than everyone else, yeah. but really just try to communicate um, at large by bringing in some of the world's leading experts on breath and right now it's a monthly webinar and we've done four so far and they've just had an amazing response nice um and so the the last three the was inhale was one um exhale and then hold was the kind of the series that we were on and we just take took a dive into you know what are what is the nuance of the inhale and we listened to you know up to five different experts on the zoom call with our wow. audience of over 100, 150, some, I think over 200 on, at one point, um, people listening into the world's experts talking about the nuance of the inhale. What can we learn about how we manage our inhale? What can we learn and then the next month? What, what, what is in the exhale that maybe we haven't thought of and different experts sharing their experience. It's just super interesting. And so that's been, that's been something that's launched, uh, just since COVID really. Um, and perfect timing. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> it's really relevant. Um, and, it's it's been really fun to to hear from these experts and and then to be able to kind of dive into the the nuance of what they shared because you know you you're listening to these experts and it's it's a lot to take in um but so we're looking on building also some some programs for people to be a part of one thing I'm going to be launching here pretty soon um uh, hasn't been announced yet but um a, a sleep study experience Ooh. for people to to work on their sleep patterns and you've probably seen the mouth tape yeah. that um, people wear. I mean, that was on shark tank. You know, this nasal breathing thing is really starting to come mainstream, which is really cool. You know, yeah. art, if you read um, James Nestor's book, breathe, right? Yeah. Um, it was great. He was on the breath. Joe your breath. What is it? <laughs> I think <laughs> breath. it's breath. I think yeah. it's breath. Yeah. Um, he was on Joe Rogan um, podcast. And so things are, I mean, obviously it's really relevant with respiratory health, but more and more men's health, you know, GQ, like all these, you know, major media outlets are have something on breath work, have something on nasal breathing. And so it's it's really intensifying. The conversation around is intensifying. So um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving people access to a new product. Um, you've, like I said, you've seen the mouth tape stuff, but all the mouth tape on the market goes over your lips. That You know, if you're trying to tape your mouth shut, that makes sense. Yeah. But Patrick McCowan, author of Oxygen Advantage, created um, something called Myotape. And Myotape goes around your mouth. Mm. So for all the people that are like, I'm not taping my mouth shut. Are you crazy? Like, that sounds extreme. That's a, well, what if we put tape around your mouth? It's, it's basically a box. <laughs> and so it goes around your lips. So if you wanted to take a drink, you could still take a drink. If you wanted, I mean, so it's That's really a very different thing because when you... So you're not wearing this to go to bed. You're wearing it like all day. No, you're wearing it to go to bed. Oh, okay. I mean, the they also have, I mean, you could wear it if you just wanted a reminder, if you were working at your desk or something like that. Got it. Um, they have a version for kids. And that's the other thing. It can be accessible to kids now because cool. it, the danger aspect is, you know, completely different. Um, 
and so you know sometimes just putting the mouth tape on um, he recommends it for kids for focus and cognition yeah. just to be present because that that mouth breathing um, pattern it really is not helpful for i mean he talks about you know dental structure and face structure yeah, yeah. and the book breath goes into that as well and so we're launching a, a like a 30-day challenge sleep challenge in which you you get a pack of 90 strips um, of the myotape and you get to wear them every night to bed and that's awesome uh, i interviewed patrick mccowan um, last week and he introed the product and kind of gave us a bunch of you know tips for applying it to life and breathing practices to go along with it and so we're going to be launching that really soon so if people want to look out for that be a part of that it's sold the myotape is sold out multiple times in europe finally getting you know a shipment here to the u.s and so i'm putting that that order in today or tomorrow um but want to get that out to people october 1st but if they want to be first kind of on the on the leading edge of receiving that product you know it's it hasn't even been formally set up for distribution here in the u.s so we're trying to launch that with as an experience through breathlab.io nice that's awesome um before we go into the like the lightning round of questions that yeah. I like to ask all my guests, mm-hmm. uh, anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't talk about? Sorry, you're just about to take a yeah. glass of water. <laughs> Whoops. Um, anything yeah. that we didn't cover or you wish I had asked you? No, I think maybe one of the the one area that we didn't touch as much on was nasal breathing. Yeah. But that's been a huge aspect of my training process with the system. Um, and I wouldn't, has it made you a better nasal breather? Is that what you're? Yeah. Well, here's the thing actually, and we didn't really touch about this on my, as far as my entrance into breath work and, you know, discovering this technology, I am pretty active person. I don't gravitate, like I want to meditate, you know, I want to be that type of person, but like, I'm very, I've never like installed it as a practice in my life and, and breath, same for breath work. Um, until I discovered this because hmm. I could get on a bike and do something I was familiar with and that felt good. I was exercising and then I could flip a switch and my, my attention immediately was on my breath and I could still hmm. move my breath as much as I wanted to, but there's something different about the air. And so yeah. it dialed me into that body awareness, breath awareness. Can I keep going at this tempo? Like at what point do I have to switch all these, you know, these yeah. very present, um, points of focus began to arise in my fitness routine. And so that was a game changer for me. Now I was aware of my breath when I wasn't on the bike because like, Mm. how does that threshold feel in real life or in normal conditions? How about during this activity versus that activity? Yeah. And as I explored nasal breathing, I soon started attempting workouts completely in my nose. And I tried mouth taping. I read Oxygen Advantage, you know, early on in my journey but then like i tried like let's go on a run and try the mouth taping thing cool but i again i was more in a performance mindset i was running and i wanted to like i wanted to demonstrate to myself that i'm making progress yeah i wanted to feel good about how fast and you know like demonstrate my fitness to myself right but it totally makes sense once I got on the bike, like I said, I wasn't going anywhere. I was on a stationary bike. I was like, all right, well, let's try this nasal breathing thing here. And by the way, when you go to altitude, it becomes even a little bit more difficult. Um, not in a resistance sense, really, but just it's thinner air. So yeah. it's like it brings your attention there immediately. And what I, like when I would tape my mouth, I would go out and go, you know, I would be, wouldn't be a half mile and be like, like, I want to go. Like, yeah. And so it was like, 
I would go. So I experimented with it. But once I got here, it gave me the patience to make a process out of it. And very soon I, you know, I started getting on my bike and I wasn't a cyclist before, but I started like, maybe I want to be a cyclist. Like I feel really good on the bike. I'm hitting this state that feels really good. 20, 30 minutes in yeah, 45 minutes, I'm doing sessions and like nose only. And I'm, my threshold is getting higher and higher. So now when I go out, go out on a run, I was experiencing that I don't have to go slow anymore. Like I can, exp- mm, I've expanded it. my capacity through my nose by increasing CO2 uh, tolerance, oxygen efficiency, and even just mechanically understanding that, that I have to make a little bit of a different face if I'm at a high level <laughs> of exertion to yeah. just the structure of my nose individually to the point where, you know, I was cycling Mount Diablo and I was able to cycle Mount Diablo at a pretty good pace and make it to the top just only breathing through my nose. Wow. Not that nasal breathing is everything because if I really want to hit my max time, I probably want to mouth breathe at certain portions, right? And when I was trying to, you know, hit my best time, I would, but it was really interesting to know that, like, I can hold 80 to 90% of my max heart rate for an hour and 15, breathing only through my nose. Yeah. And seeing that change on the mountain, especially out on the road, it was like, all right, normally I would start really get, it would really start getting hard at like 150 beats per minute. And then it's like slowly 155. I'm fine. Up to one time, it was great because I forgot to wear my heart rate monitor. And I was like, I was up at like 175 and I was listening to very like meditative kind of track. Yeah. Cause I don't like to pump up mix gets me like, it's more, yeah. 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 And then so you start mouth breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like, it was very like ethereal type music and I, didn't have a heart rate monitor that I normally have on my bike monitor. So I, I actually was you wearing constantly be looking at it. Right? Yeah. I, I wor- ha- had the whoop on. I was like, Oh, let me just, as I'm keeping this tempo, let me just like open the whoop and see where I'm at. I was like, Whoa, I'm at 175. And even just seeing that origin immediately triggered me back into like, Whoa, can I yeah. keep it? And then my breath changed. And yeah, of course, eventually I was like, oh, I'm going to slow down and regain. But it was like, wow, I was just in the zone. Heart rate 175 or, and, and climbing. And I was, I was not stressing it. And so it was yeah. just cool, really cool to see that progress. And to, I would have never had the patience to just chip away at that if I hadn't had the the presence of the altitude switch. And I mm-hmm. shouldn't say I would never, but it, it definitely accelerated my process and my awareness. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, just when I was on it and you brought me up to that high altitude at like 15,000 mm-hmm. square feet, um, I had to be very cognizant of my breath so you're right i mean i had to i was really like very cognizant of it uh, it was like almost calculating calculated breaths i was taking and just very um just a lot of awareness and just making sure that i knew it was in a calm state because i knew that if i wasn't i was going to hyperventilate a lot quicker and burn out so it's interesting yeah, yeah. that you say that i mean just from briefly doing it, i'm like yeah i could totally see how it makes you aware of the breath, you know, your breath and your thoughts. You start realizing that everything you do takes energy. Mm -hmm. So me, like when you're on your bike and you're, you know, holding a certain level of performance, your, your heart rates at, you know, a given level. And if a song comes on that I don't like, and I have to open an app to change it. I hate that. Like the rhythm of my breath changes is, is interrupted because I'm, my movements are different. And because maybe I'm like, oh shoot I missed it and I'm have a little stress moment of like I want to get back to my my tempo and but like those little interruptions like change your performance like Mm -hmm. 
change your breath and even if i'm not opening you know doing anything tech related if i'm just on the bike and then i start thinking about like something going on in life and it's like and i i can feel it's really cool to start feeling that this stress this thought pattern is changing the metabolic demand of the moment Mm. and so that awareness really places a different emphasis on how you manage your thoughts and how you manage your your focus when you're on the bike and to me that was i mean that that is meditation for me yeah you know like i'm i'm back to the present moment because the result of not being in the present moment is this 90 percent of your max heart rate through your nose all of a sudden starts getting really uncomfortable yep to the point where like you're you know you're burning up you're like it it changes everything and so like getting to the edge there and really feeling that difference is is really meditative and really rewarding for me to like get there in that way yeah so no i get it i love it yeah it's fun all right hey let's jump into the lightning round of questions are you ready yeah all right if the old you could see the new you what would the new you say what would the new you me like what what if you had to look at yourself where you are now and you were looking at your old self what would you tell that person yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's not that long ago. Like, really. <laughs> the old you was just a couple, of, like a couple a, weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, in the constant evolution, it's like it's it's really not that long ago that I um, I was stressed out working around the clock. You know, I mean, it it feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. And I I think thinking on my feet, what would I say is like I think diving into the breath has has been a game changer for me and doing it for me actively through activity the aerobic aerobic exercise like i never had a relationship to that formerly yeah it was like it was like work out it's like i don't really want to do that like is am I, can i chase a ball of some sort can we <laughs> right can we throw a frisbee and that still is like that's the way i enjoy it most but i've gained the interest and the patience to like like start understanding that like I have an engine, like I am an engine of some sort, like we're all engines of some sort. And what type of engine do I want to be? And like, what is the expression of that day to day? And for me, it's like looking forward, like at 45, what kind of engine do I want to have? Cause I see people that I really admire that I'm like, wow, like that's like, I, you know, at the top of Mount Diablo, you, the people you meet up there is like I a 70 year old. He's like, yeah, I made it up here. And like, 59 minutes and I'm just like like when you're on the mountain and someone tells you like their time and you and you're like yeah you understand what's what a good time t- like I don't, I don't know so like I mean under an what hour do, what do you do it in uh I think my best time was like an hour 11 wow. yeah something like that but I mean I'm on a mountain bike and I, you know that still has a little shock yeah. in it and the tires and so like I for me I was competing against myself so it didn't really matter sure, it was sure, like sure. but we were but you, the guy's 70, you said, or something? Yeah, you're 35, so, well, you know, there's something. Yeah. The guy's in good shape, basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean these the, the people you see out on the road, they've got insane bikes, and, you know, they're really dialed in. He does it two, three times a week. And, yeah. Um, but it's just super impressive to someone that's late 60s, 70s, like, crushing it yeah. like that on the mountain. And, um, you know, they've just dialed in their efficiency. I mean, it takes a long time. If you look at the difference between – a good cyclist and an elite cyclist, it's like exponential. It's like if yeah. you, you know, 
have a seat like next to the NBA, like a, a, what do you call it? Courtside seat at the NBA. It's like, oh, this is different than I haven't been courtside, but yeah, like the understanding of like, oh, that's how these guys are moving. That's how fast they are. That's how compared to a high school basketball game or even a good college team. It's mm-hmm. like the difference there is so, so incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, but getting back to your question, I think it would just be, it would just be a huge encouragement to like, like get connected to your engine, yeah. like, and start developing that. You don't have to get there fast, but get connected with it because it is the, it is, it is your living, breathing energy system that drives your everything. perception of everything, yeah. your, your energy, your future, your legacy. And so for me, you know, energizing myself via breath work and then helping energize the reality of other people's mental and physical health is, is really a, a legacy play, so yeah. to speak. It's Love like, it. that's, that's what we're, we're acting on. It's not just a, we're not changing the furniture. Like, Hey, we should move this couch around. Like it's no, it's, this is bigger than that. So I think that's, that would be my message. Love it. What, uh, what are some choices that, uh, made you who you are today? Some choices. Um, definitely a big one was just doing what I love. And I, I, you know, I, I think that was installed early on for me, you know, in homeschooling. It was like, Hey, you have to do a science project. What is it going to be about? You know? And it was like, well, I want to go in the stream and I want to dig up the rocks in the stream bottom and figure out what, which mayflies, caddisflies and black flies are making up the diet of the brown trout in the yellow breeches Creek. Like, those kind of questions was like I was able to channel my interest and then that's a legitimate science project and understand temp water temperature and stream conditions and seasons and when they hatch and how the the fish behave in response to all those variables Um, I was making decisions very early on that like doing what I loved because being in that inspired state of just losing myself and like uh, trying to understand um, the complexity of something like that I think really has impacted how I pursue my career. It, it absolutely made me fall in love with teaching and volleyball um, in a new way. And then in this discovery has been a bit more personal and to, you know, started with doing it for myself and then sharing it with others. Um, so, yeah. Love it, dude. That's awesome. Um, anybody from the, biohacking wellness fitness community anybody out there that that you follow or that inspires you um yeah there's a lot of people that have impacted my journey most recently a lot of them are in in the breath space you know yeah but in the holistic sense um i really appreciate um joe DeStefano. i don't know if you know yeah. his podcast stacked he does a really good job and and covers a lot Coach of different joe d yeah, yeah yeah um so i really like his it's really grounded, um, information. Um, but then in the breath space, you know, Brian McKenzie and the guys over at what is now shift adapt, um, Rob Wilson, I've, I've loved their work. And a lot of what I do has been based on um, some of those principles. Um, trying to think of, there's a lot of other people that I've, you know, guys, like when we talk about nasal breathing, there's, you know, there's books like breath, there's books like Patrick McCowan would be another big influence. Um, but then there's also people like in Ayurvedic medicine, um, like Dr. John Duyard and people that, you know, you hear different, like in different references, they come up. Um, but I've learned so much from these little, from all of them. Yeah. yeah and so, um, those might be some of the, the biggest current ones. You know, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I, yeah, me too. And 
those podcasts are jump off points for me to like then dive into research they mention or other other writers um, or doctors that they mention. Um, right now, I've been so focused on building what I'm building that yeah. it's it's uh, I haven't been doing as much reading as I like. Um, but those are some of the major influences really in in the breath space. Yeah. Um, but it's it's been a it's been a lot of I mean right now it's there's so much out there and it's filtering becomes a big issue so I, I rely yeah. on that's um, why we ask because you know you're an expert in that area so that's why it's nice to like kind of lead people maybe well I, yeah in terms of books I mean I think the Oxygen Advantage is a great book to kind of enter yeah, awareness around the breath um, Breath by James Nestor is another really good one that's it kind of functions in a lot of ways. It's very journalistic. It functions a lot in a and lot of ways. And he's a journalist. He's not a yeah. breath expert, but he seeks, uh, I think, like the, all the best, right? Kind of. Yeah, and you yeah. become an expert as you explore this in some yeah. way. And so um, I really appreciate his work, and it reminds me of like a Malcolm Gladwell type approach, and it's yeah. really a journey that you go through when reading that book. So in terms of exploring breath and realizing it, the deep impact it has on human physiology and like we talked about cranial structure and, and evolution. I think that's a, a really interesting, that's created more conversations with my clients who are like, Oh, I heard about this book or I read it or it really is a, an easy access point for people to get started. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, any rituals or like hacks or practices that you do on a daily basis that you kind of, feel like gives you an edge you know people some people use gratitude journaling yeah for you you know you're a high performer man like what do you what do you do i mean i'll i'll comment on something breath wise for me you know one of the simplest takeaways and principles you know everyone's going to respond differently to different breath practices so this is there's no one size fits all but just if you take one thing away from and can change how you breathe during the day would be breathe through your nose right yeah unless you need to breathe through your mouth breathe through your nose and then the other thing would be extending the exhale it's a simple mm -hmm. thing that like hey anytime and the more tuned in you know you become to it you realize that it's it has an immediate effect so just i mean taking we've been told hey take a deep breath you know and regardless of how we do that how we release that breath has just such a huge impact on your state and so like i talk to people about this you know and we're when we're training here and very often it's like even as i'm talking about it, i'm like i'm like whoa i feel like a, just a real shift in my state when i yeah. just say hey if we take a normal breath and just just that long extended exhale you know doubling the length of your inhale in your exhale so if you take one second in takes two seconds out if you take three seconds in take six seconds so, out is a simple framework to just extend the exhale but really just any time there's times where i'm st so stressed that i like and i'm so busy it's like for me to take i should do like a break and do some breath work but sometimes it's just like hey i'm even counting is like too much of a too much cognitive like i yeah. can't go there right now but i can always go to extend the exhale i can always just yeah like, nice And just take and demonstrate a little control that like, and it, the way I like to think about it and describe it is like, hey, right now, in this moment, I have the luxury that I don't have to ventilate. Evolutionarily, like if I, w if I had to, like, you know, I was in a performance survival situation, that's not a luxurious rest and digest recovery situation. But like yeah. right now, I'm going to demonstrate 
to my physiology that I had the luxury of, even if I don't have cognitive safety because it's so, you know, life chaos, I, I have safety in, right. in that moment. So for me, that's a really easy um, way to just ground myself and remind myself. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a foundational uh, thing for me. Um, I enjoy cold exposure um, because of it changes my state pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, changes anyone's state yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I, I use regularly here at the center. Um, I have one of the freezers at home. I've had one of those for a few years that, you know, I jump into when it's, when I have it cleaned and, you know, sometimes it goes on cycles and I yeah. have more interest than other times. But those two things are, are really foundational for me. Um, sleep is a big deal. I mean, I'm in, I'm lucky enough right now that I'd never wake up with an alarm clock. I d- had to last week because, you know, I got to bed late and I couldn't, you know, I needed to, but I'm pretty regular and ha- I always wake up at like when the sun rises. Well, about six o'clock is, you know, five thirty, six o'clock is usually when I'm waking up. And so it encourages me to go to bed early so that when that time comes, I'm, I'm getting up. And so it's, I'm, I need to get even better at sleep because I'm tend to be working late or just up late because I, I worked all day and then yeah. I want to, you know, hang. And so, um, sleep is a big one. And I, to me, you know, with oxygen rally, like breath is so foundational. Like I did lifestyle coaching, dietary stuff, you know, helping people with that, but everyone breathes and oxygen is so fundamental to aerobic life and we're all aerobic organisms. Right. And so to me, focusing on breath, focusing on sleep, those are kind of the foundations that I really focus on. And I, I dabble in a lot of other, All that you know, other stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I did a lot of fasting and, but that's not something I do now. Like I eat yeah. breakfast every single day right now. Wow. It's like, I just, and I'm training differently and it hasn't changed my body composition. Like it's like people do things for all different reasons, but like, yeah, if I'm trying to get fit, like for me, it's like if I fasted, I was eating the calories later and it didn't really, it, it didn't. didn't really matter. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, Hey, let's get up and have some protein and like, make that a regular thing see how that treats me and if i'm going to fast it usually is an early dinner and then i let that yeah so that i because i usually i'm i'm hungry when i get up and yeah and i i feel i think i feel better when just eating more regularly for me it's more just the foundation of it is like hey give it a like 12 hour rest you know yeah but even sometimes i'm not doing that I i try to as much as i can but you're doing what works for you, which I love, you know, and you're constantly aware of it. So there's no pressure. Like you said, it's not like, are you performing? Or are you training? It's like, I have the, you have the luxury to like test and retest and you're not going to be in the next competition two weeks from now or two months from now. So it's like, okay, let's, yeah. life is a journey. Let's just, we go through evolutions. I feel like, you know, and some now the evolution for you is protein in the morning. Maybe it won't be in next year, you know, yeah. we don't know. So and I I've love th- that. And I've thought even recently, like, ah, let's, let's do intermittent fasting again, because I did enjoy like aspects of that. Um, but like, I just retested myself with the metabolic test. And it was like, even more than when I was cycling, like Mount Diablo training, extended training all the time, like my VO2 max has continued to increase. I'm training less. I'm doing more kettlebell stuff. Like I'm doing more strength focused, but like I increased my VO2 max significantly and I've actually been kind of like, geez, like I'm not training as much. Like I'm not doing as many sessions here. Um, I'm still, you know, a couple of times a week maybe, but it's like not, before I was like four or five days a week and it was like, yeah. I was 
and I love it, but it's like, Hey, I'm focusing on kettlebell stuff, some upper body strength. And it's like, it's cool to see that my progress is still like, that's probably what I needed. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's just shifting and just trying to stay interested in, in what I'm doing what for activity, but in life as well. So, yeah. Love it, man. Yeah. Last but not least, where can people find you? Um, oxygenrally.com, uh, is my website. Um, I'm located at the human optimization center. So, um, hocwc.com, um, is where a lot of my stuff is. Unfortunately, my website is being, uh, censored by Facebook wow. and Instagram. So <laughs> if you try to type oxygenrally.com oh, into man. Facebook and share it, you won't be able to share it. And so I've been struggling trying to keep, figure that out. So if you want to yeah, share it, oxygen rally is a real provocative thing. That and name. I, I don't know, you know, really I'm fun. not, <laughs> I don't know if it was the rally thing during COVID saying, Hey, like a rally is a, a group of people ah. gathering, or if it was oxygen as a training and health tool being, I mean, I don't make any health claims on my yeah. website, so I don't, I'm not really sure what's, what that, and we don't have to go that direction, but no. at oxygen rally on Instagram at breathlab.io on Instagram um, are the two outlets there, but you can find me at oxygenrally.com or hocwc.com. Nice. And so. Owen Monroy. Yeah. Muchísimas gracias. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in the show. It absolutely means the world to me, and I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. If any of this resonates with you, feel free to go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. There you can follow me or you can follow me on Spotify. And if you're interested in life coaching or health coaching, you can find me at joelevancoaching.com. And I'd love to connect with you there. Thanks and continue to be amazing.